We're going to jump into the Word. Um, I'm going to pull out my new toy that I've been using. I hope, I hope it's been um, beneficial to you. I love using it. But I, I, hope, it's, I hope it's been uh, somewhat beneficial to you. If you're in the front couple of rows over there, you lose. Um, and maybe over there too. But, um, but I'm enjoying it. <laughs> what I'm going to do today is uh, I want to talk, uh, talk about how we as believers can operate effectively in the midst of our culture the way it is. Uh, Pastor Jim preached a few weeks ago from Romans chapter 8 and talked about how we're in between, we, we often exist in this, he called it a butterfly smoothie concoction where we're not a caterpillar, but we're not a butterfly yet. It's the now and not yet of the kingdom that we exist in so that even though we have been saved, even though we can take that to the bank that we've been adopted as sons and daughters, we, the paperwork's been signed, everything's been established, we have yet to enter fully into the reality of that adoption. So until we enter fully into that reality, what we have in this life, we do have difficulty, we do have uh, suffering, we do have struggles. And I want to talk about what, uh, I'm going to talk from a passage that, that, briefly highlights uh, a kind of a short-term struggle that some people were in um, that was very significant. And we're going to be looking at the, the book of, Ch- of Luke in chapter 24. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus has already been crucified. And he's actually risen from the dead, but the disciples don't realize it yet, and they're devastated. You know, think of the most significant assassination that you're aware of, that you can think of. Uh, JFK, Abraham Lincoln, uh, Martin Luther King Jr., right? These, these assassinations that occurred, but, but the assassination of Jesus, the murder of Jesus was distinct in that he was m- the most morally excellent person that has ever existed. He was perfect. He was without sin. Nobody could have gone, there was nothing to say about him like, eh, kind of had it coming. There's nothing about his life. There was nothing about his ministry except for the fact that he said he was God. So there's that. But when you're telling, when you say you're God and you're telling the truth, thank you, JC. And uh, all you did is speak the truth and prove your moral excellence. It would have been morally unexcellent for him to not admit his godness, Uh, which which he did. Uh, And we can talk about that in another another day. Um, But we're going to look at Luke chapter 24. And um, it's actually quite a bit of scripture. So if you stand to your feet with me again. I'm going to read it because there's so much of it. Um, I just couldn't decide which section to take. So we're going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to focus in on a few different passages. But I want us to have the context. Luke 24, 13 through 27 says this. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other and about all the things that had just happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what's this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened in these days? And Jesus said to him, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who is a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and he was crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things have happened. 
verse 22. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and they did not find his body. They came back saying that they had seen vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but, they, but him they did not see. And he said to them, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. This is God's word to us. Help us, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to move quickly through this today. My goal is to help us understand how we can respond in times where we're completely knocked off our horse and, and blown away by sudden loss or sudden, sudden difficulty, sudden struggle. It's also true in times of prolonged struggle and prolonged difficulty. But I think it's, I think in this we see a kind of a micro version of what, uh, of, uh, of how we can learn. Uh, the first thing that sticks out to me is that, uh, Jesus is just naturally walking up alongside them. And so I don't want you to miss, just like last week's message, I don't want you to miss Jesus because he's just naturally coming alongside of you. You know, sometimes we expect the goosebumps and we expect the the Holy Ghost movement. You know, we expect the trembling. We expect a a voice from heaven. We expect the the words to jump out of the page and attack us. We expect, you know, the, the, the alcohol to jump out of our hand. Or we expect, I heard a testimony one time at a church where the guy was like, the crack jumped out my hand and flushed itself down the toilet. Like some of us are waiting for that to happen instead of acknowledging God is here, whether or not he takes it out of my hand. He's here and he's, he loves me and he cares for me and he's caring for me in this moment. Amen. You tracking? So don't miss God because it's, he's so naturally supernatural. Don't miss the presence of God because you don't have goosebumps and the organs not playing and, and you don't have Reggie following you around playing the keyboard. He's at the water cooler when you get to the office. He's in your car waiting for you in the morning. He's at your house waiting for you when you walk in and everybody's crying and upset. He's there. Don't wait for the goosebumps. Acknowledge his presence and then you'll realize that he's there. Sometimes it's got to go the other way around. You've got to acknowledge him and then he say, here I am. But Jesus comes up alongside them and he's listening to their conversation and he says, what's this conversation you're having with each other as you walk? What y'all talking about? God loves to ask questions when he already knows the answer to it. He loves it. It happened in Genesis, in the garden. It happens all throughout. Jesus is like, who do you say that I am? (laughs) Right? I'm just checking. The rich young ruler say, good good teacher. He said, why do you call me good? I'm just seeing if we're on the same page because I know I'm good. I know I'm God. There's none good but God and I'm good. But I just want to see if you got a revelation or if you're just inflating me. You're just using lip service to get what you want from me. It's going to get you a better answer. Oh, no, Rich Young Ruler, you've already done them enough. You've done really well. Free heaven for you. But that's not what he got. He got a question. And Jesus loves to ask questions like this. It's common to, a, to a, an indirect culture. Communication isn't, isn't like, like you and I do it. We're like, I want the truth. You can't handle the truth kind of stuff. Right? Like that's America. That's how we do it here. That's not how they do it in other places. That's not how it's done in Japan. To show respect, you don't look in the eyes, you look at the floor. You tracking? It's a different culture, so we got to understand how that culture reacted. He said it. He did it, and it's good. Um, 
But Jesus walked near him and he's like, what are you talking about? Already knowing what they were talking about. Um, I, I just, as I was reading this, I just, I thought in times of difficulty, do I, do my conversations reflect the reality that Jesus is alive? Or do I stay in the gossip mode? You know, our conversations are different when the other person's, when the person's around, right? When the boss goes around, the conversation's a little bit different. In times of struggle and difficulty, do I speak like I'm aware that God is sovereign in all things? Or does my speech betray that reality? What's amazing is Cleopas tells him the story just as he sees it, just as he understands it. And he's telling Jesus, he's like, hey, cool, Jesus, this is what we were talking about. He's not hiding anything because he doesn't realize who he's talking to yet. That, that happens much later. And he's talking and he's describing it. He died and they're devastated. And he says, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We thought he was going to come through, but he didn't. He just died instead. Just like everybody else, he just died. He didn't come through. He can't come through. It must not be true. He must not be the Messiah. He must not be God. He must not have power available to him. He must not have loved us because he, uh, he led us astray for so long. These guys had given their life to follow Jesus and now he's gone. And they're left with this sense of betrayal and forgottenness and lostness. And it's like, what, what happened? So he says, we, we hope that he was the one. One of the beautiful things that about this moment in this passage of scripture is that Jesus, his response was to listen. You know what happens when you're talking and Jesus is listening? It's called prayer. This was kind of an accidental prayer. And he's expressing his frustration and his pain to Jesus. And I just, in times of difficulty, when our, you know, like a massacre of 17 students in Florida, like something equally as difficult but more prolonged or less immediate, I want to ask just have you taken your emotions, your feelings and opinions to Jesus? We need to do so. We need to hold it out in front of him. God, I'm mad. God, I don't get it. I thought you were the one. I thought you were going to save. My mother, my, my father, my grandparent, my child. I thought that you were going to protect me. I thought that, I thought the bills were going to be paid. I thought the pain was going to stop. I thought forgiveness was going to come easier. I thought they were going to leave me alone. Jesus listens for a period of time and then he inserts. He's, he's kind of like, okay, got it. I see where you're coming from. I hear your heart. And he interrupts them and he, and he starts speaking to them and he explains to them. says that he interpreted to them all things in scripture concerning himself. See, they had, they had all the right information. 
It was true that he was delivered over. It was true that he was killed. It was true that it had been three days. But what they didn't do is interpret the facts correctly. See, they missed a lot of really important information that they had been hearing for years and never understood that there was this Messiah who was going to come and bring deliverance. Jesus had told them, guys, I'm going to die. It's necessary for me to die and I'm going to rise from the dead. He told them as much, but they didn't understand it. They didn't see what was happening. They had all the information. They just correct, they, they connected it incorrectly. And so Jesus took time and he's like, let me take you through the word. Uh, it's talking to Scott this morning. He goes, I wish that was, had been recorded, <laughs> that conversation. Jesus teaching how you can find Jesus throughout the whole scripture, yeah. right? Like Jesus being like, yeah, so the garden, that was crazy. Like I walked out there and they were like hiding and there I was. And so I killed an animal and I covered their sin. Hey, that is a foreshadowing of the death that I just died and rose from, but that you'll get that later. And then he's going, he's like, he's like an exodus. Let me tell you about exodus. Let me tell you about the exodus. That would have been a sermon for the ages. Their response is really funny, though. They don't even get it then. They get it later. So it's not like, the, yeah, so a lot like you and me. Jesus, we get it. We get it later, don't we? Like, oh, I like like right about the third step. I realized what I wanted to say during the sermon. It's like, it's like, oh, everybody come back. There's one more thing. So he interpreted, he's like, you got the facts, but you missed the point. What I want to know is in times of pain and difficulty, have you invited God through his word to interpret the times for you? Or have you already defined it? Because the risk is we see it and we make a decision about it. And we hold on to that decision and then we read the scripture through our, de- through our decision. Instead of looking to scripture and saying, God, help me understand what's happening here. Help me understand how to deal with this suffering, how to deal with this struggle, how to deal with this pain. We go in deciding what it already is. It's normally he's not strong enough, I'm not important enough, or something in between. I want to encourage you today that, that like, if you were asking me for something, you'd have to meter out your expectations. You'd have, to be like, you'd have to be like, well, he's only got so much time, so I can ask him for this. But I can't ask him for all the things because he doesn't have t- enough time. God's supply of everything is limitless. And so it's not like if we, if we pray for one thing, we're taking away from his ability to, to deal with another thing, right? So like we can pray for the nation and then we can go and pray for, you know, something cool to happen on the drive home. Like, God, I'd love to see a bald eagle. I don't know. I think it'd be neat. Haven't seen one in a long time. Don't even think they live here, but it'd be awesome. That'd be pretty cool. You didn't like void the prayer you prayed earlier because God's limit, resources are somehow limited. He's like, well, you got to choose, buddy. I hear you praying, but, um, you know, it's the electric bill or the eagle or the nation. Which one? Yeah, choose wisely. Right? It's not, when we approach God, it's not like that. You, do you understand that? Like God's time is, you go, don't get mad because somebody else is praying a really big prayer. And you're like, oh, no, 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 don't pray for that. I need him. I need him for this over here. And you're taking up his time and resources with your, your history test. 
Don't waste his time on your history test. He's got important stuff to be doing. That's not an issue that God faces, family. So pray for all of it. Ask for all of it. My wife and I are going through an exercise right now where we're praying big faith prayers. Here are the rules. You can't edit it because we want to edit each other's prayers. It's really funny. You know, I'm like, God, bring this. And she's like, well, we don't really need that much. And I'm like, let God tell me. <laughs> and then she, I did it to her the other night. She was praying. For, oh, we were praying for, <laughs> can I say it? We were praying for the health of our daughter. Our daughter's healthy now, by the way. Thank you for praying. So we're really happy. We were praying for our daughter. I prayed an awesome prayer. I was like, God, heal our daughter. Change it all. I don't even know what to pray for. Fix it. God, and I prayed. I was praying paint off the walls. I was going hard. And then I moved on to other things. God, give us the resources for the office space. God, make it a thing that's awesome and extend your kingdom. And then, and then Megan's like, and God heal our daughter. I was like, did you not hear me pray for our daughter already? I did that. I covered it. It's, it, she's like, why are you editing my prayer? I want to say it too. <laughs> Marriage is messy, y'all. Pray. <laughs> I'll mess up a prayer. I messed up prayer for our daughter (laughs) while she was sick. That's how messed up I am. But God wasn't somehow like, oh, no, David already asked. (laughs) If anything, he heard Megan's and he's like, thank God. Well, thank me. Like a prayer I can respond to. David, you're frustrating me. Using all those words, the fancy prayer. Megan's just like, save our, she's the reason that she's healthy. God heard her prayer. He was like, okay, David, got it. Less words, more heart. Just believe me. We don't have to worry about God running out of power or presence. We can ask for all the healing our heart can conjure up request for. But have you invited God to interpret the times for you through his word? In Romans 8, chapter 22 and 23, this is what Pastor Jim spoke on a couple of weeks ago, but he said, for we know that a whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we also being believers who have been saved by Jesus, who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Paul's warning us through the Holy Spirit. He's kind of telling us ahead of time that there's going to be this groaning. The universe is groaning and crying out for the salvation of God to be fully known and realized because there's a, a new heaven and a new earth coming. And the universe is crying out. It's longing for it. It's groaning for it. And not just the creation, but us also. So when when something happens like it did in Florida, there's this groaning and this yearning and this pain and this sorrow. And you're like, there's got to be something else. There's got to be something better. There's something bigger. There's something more significant for these people's lives. There's something more special, more important for our nation. There's something more important for us. You feel it? That yearning, that groaning, and that difficulty. The Bible doesn't promise a life without groaning and difficulty. It promises a life of it. But that he's going to be our peace and our comfort and our hope in the midst of it. That's the promise of Scripture. It's kind of an inoculation against, against praying for BMWs and, and, and uh, Maseratis, right? Now, you can go ahead and do it. It's not going to take away from God and his power. But my guess is that he'll redirect you to start praying for for other things instead. 
So Paul is warning that there's trouble in this life and creation is groaning and crying out for the salvation of God to come and be made known, completely manifested. It doesn't make the suffering and the wickedness and the evil things that we experience okay, but it helps us maintain our course in the midst of the chaos. Does that make sense? It doesn't make it go away, but it helps us hold course through the fog of pain and through the fog of suffering and through the fog of evil. Tracking? Beauty, uh, beauty, um, gosh, beauty and love and our capacity for relationships are all signposts that point us to the love of God. That we have a capacity that's unlike the rest of creation, that somehow there's more to us, that's something special about us, that points to us being created distinctly from everybody else, that points us to a creator, that points us to, to God himself. It's a signpost on the road, and it just kind of it moves us along, and it moves us forward when we see love and compassion being demonstrated, doesn't it? You're like, this is significant. This is special. This is unlike what I see in the rest of nature. Unlike what I see in the rest of, of creation. Our capacity for relationship. That's unlike what, how it's experienced anywhere else in creation. There's something going on about people, isn't there? That causes us to look to something else. There's something about our appreciation of beauty and art that makes us long and, and, and yearn for, for greater and bigger things. I haven't been there, but I've heard that the Grand Canyon does that. It just kind of takes your breath away. It's, I've heard that it's absolutely terrifying and you're in, and you feel so little in the midst of all that bigness and you're like, man, this points to something bigger than myself. For as much as those things are signposts that point us toward the loving God, suffering, evil, wickedness, pain, shootings, all of this kind of garbage, racism, these things that go on are broken signposts. And T. Wright calls them broken signposts. And what you see on this picture is, is a, a picture of a sign that got hit by a car or something. You got the stop sign on the ground and then you got Ponderosa Drive just laying on the ground. And as you walked up on this sign, you'd go, hmm, I don't know quite where I am, but that sign is supposed to be telling me something. There's important information for this. I'm supposed to stop and I'm at a crossroads. But it's going to take someone who's discerning to be able to pick it up and determine which one is Ponderosa Drive and which one's the other one. And to hold it up and say, this is a signpost for Ponderosa Drive. And this is Ponderosa Drive. And this is the other drive. And this is where the sign belongs. And this is what it's saying. Something has happened here that shouldn't have happened. This sign was supposed to show the way to God. But here it is, broken on the ground. Our relationships are supposed to point the way to God, but in many ways they're broken on the ground. Come on, come on. We were created with the capacity to love and to care for one another, and somehow it's broken on the ground. We're to preserve life, but somehow it's broken on the ground. The groaning that we feel is a broken sign post on the ground. Say things aren't quite right, but the, the, thing, the, the fact that you realize that it's not right points to the fact that there is right, and we're going to get to it. 
violence, war, hunger are all broken signposts. So we've got broken signposts. And then also in this passage in, uh, in Romans 8, 22 and 23, we see that, that not all the groaning that we hear are, are death pains. It's, it's, not, it's not death pain. It feels like, sounds like. It seems like what we hear are the groans of death, but what we hear are the groans of childbirth. What we hear are the groans that say that something else is happening, something bigger is occurring, something more significant is at work. And, and very briefly, I want to highlight that difficulty and struggle is not a sign of the failure of God. See, the disciples thought, back to Luke, that, that God had somehow failed and failed them. Because it didn't turn out the way that they had expected it to. They just didn't realize that God was up to something bigger. God was up to something greater. God was actually conquering sin and death. The Roman government, he's like, please. I'm up to eternal things. The birth pains, this is the sound of God preparing us for something greater than the world has to offer. I want to encourage you that we serve a God who never fails. Psalm 136 is a beautiful passage. Psalm 136 um, is, 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 uh, it talks, that's the verse that talks about his love endures forever. You might just, you might just need, if you're discouraged and you're having a hard time, you might just need to read this out loud to yourself. And then by the end of it, if you don't believe it, just read it again. And you can go through it and, and it's give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone who does great wonders for his love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens for his steadfast love endures forever. You tracking? Y'all, it's 26 verses of that. If you don't believe it by the end of that, just start over. But I'll tell you what happens when I read it. If I read it and I'm grumpy, by the time I get about halfway done, I start getting kind of excited. I'm not sitting down anymore. Now I'm standing up and I'm walking it and I'm getting a little, I'm getting a little bouncy and I start getting louder and I'm like, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. He endures forever. His love doesn't stop. His love doesn't cease. All he ever does is love. All he ever does is win. Win no matter what. How? <laughs> and when he come in, all the hands go up or whatever. <laughs> it's not how it's not. And that's not Psalm 136. That's somebody else. All he does is love. All he does is win. All he does is not fail. All he does is succeed in every single thing that he sets forth to do. His word does not return void, nor does he. Y'all, I'm just, I, we need to know that in the midst of suffering and wickedness and evil that is taking place in this world, it points us to a God that is better than we could ever imagine, who has more in store for us than we could ever dream. That's the promise of the gospel, y'all. We serve a good God. God hasn't forgotten. God's not sleeping. He's not distracted with somebody else's prayer request. 
You know, the one thing I, I didn't say about prayer is that, you know, we got to take our emotions, our, our opinions, like all of these things to God, and we need to share it with him, and we need to be open with him. And this is why. It's because when we hand it over to him, he gives it back to us, and so, so and, and, he, and he changes it, right? He changes our heart. And then when we get up from there, we can be about his business, not about our business. Because more than once I've gone into my prayer closet, and I was like, get him. I'm not talking about like murders and stuff. I'm talking about like the barista at Starbucks. <laughs> Get that. Didn't give me enough coffee. I said, I said, no room for cream. I want all my coffee. <laughs> but we got to go and we got we to hold it up to him, let him change it so that when we stand up and walk out of our prayer closet, we come out with an understanding that the creation is crying out. It's groaning. The pain that our nation feels right now is a groaning. It's crying out for the kingdom of God to be established. It's a crying. It's a groaning for the love and the power of God to be known by individuals so that they can be transformed and changed into the people that he called them, created them to be. Amen.